Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll be in Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving, steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who, within your, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, if you could turn to Romans 7, starting in verse 7. <clears throat> what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. You may be seated. Thank you, Sister Lisa, and it's such a joy to serve with you throughout the week. If you haven't had a chance to, to meet Lisa, you'll be greatly encouraged by her as a sister. Let's start today with a survey. If you do me a favor, uh, how many of you have ever had something stolen from you or witnessed a theft at your work? Can I just see like anything stolen from you? You all raising your hands? Okay. This is quite a risky way to start a sermon if you think about it because nobody raised their hands it's talking about stealing here's the point we look at the eighth commandment 
you shall not steal. So very simple, in a way addressing such a primitive problem, and yet we've all been affected by theft and by having something stolen. So much so that, you know, I read cleveland.com just to find out, you know, get a pulse on what's happening in our area. And it's rare. Uh, I'd say nearly every day I read something about extortion, about some form of swindling right here, you know, uh, in one of these greater Cleveland area counties. The point being theft and stealing is something that happens often. And yet God has made it so very clear and plain to us uh, where he stands on this. And I hope before the end of our time together, what we're going to see, the, the cause of stealing, really the root cause of stealing, why it really matters and how we as God's people can be different in this area. And as we've gone through the commandments, I hope you've seen that, that with each one of these, we have an opportunity to be so wonderfully different in a, in a non-Christian culture. And so maybe uh, that discouragement is balanced by the, the fact that there are great opportunities to live a life of following Christ. So, I want us to look both at the 8th and the 10th commandments because they are related, aren't they? In fact, I'd rather uh, like to start today with verse 17, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Say, coveting is a word for desiring. You think that is related to the 8th commandment. You shall not steal. And what I'd like us to see is why the 10th commandment is profound. Say, so why is the 10th commandment unlike the previous nine? And the reason why it is so profound is because it talks about the attitudes of our heart. Of the previous nine commandments, uh, the way that they're violated is on exhibition. If you use the Lord's name in vain, it's detectable. If I steal something, it's probably going to be found out, maybe not immediately, but eventually somebody will say, okay, there was an item that was stolen or something, a property, intellectual property that was stolen, it's invisible. You say you, you commit adultery, say sooner or later that's going to work its way out. Say of the previous nine commandments, when they're violated, they're on display. What makes the 10th commandment, I think, scary is because... It, the Bible is not a book of fluff, but, but it actually goes so far as to talk about the attitudes of my heart. That I can covet, I can desire that which is yours without you knowing about it. But the Bible knows that's the real root issue. There's a reason the 10th commandment kind of anchors all these, that that's the root issue, the heart issue behind the violation of these other commandments. It's exactly what we've seen Jesus do our last couple of weeks together. So take, you know, you're looking at verse 13, you shall not murder. Congregation like ours say, I really don't feel tempted to murder. I mean, I, I, I just don't think that's really going to happen, that I'm going to, you know, in cold blood, you know, go out, kill somebody this week. Remote chance. But what does Jesus do? He says, even if you don't murder somebody, but if you're harboring hatreds in your heart, if you're thinking cruel thoughts about somebody else. It's as if you wish they had never existed. Say, does that make you any better off before the holiness of God? Say, of course, real murder is worse than thinking uh, evil about another person in terms of the consequences, but before a holy God, you say, neither one of those acts is virtuous or pure, and so what Jesus does is he universalizes the guilt on that commandment. He says, you've heard it said don't murder, but I've got to tell you it's the issue in your heart of hating other people. That's the root cause of it. And you're like, I'm guilty. How about the next one, you shall not commit adultery. 
I've never done that. You know, I had a 30-year marriage. Yeah, we've been up and down, but I've never, you know, committed actual physical, you know, I've never been physically unfaithful. So I'm definitely good there. Well, what does Jesus do? The root cause of adultery is a corruption of the, the heart that we call lust. That we've lusted after others who wished we had conquests in other areas or perhaps even before we were married, say we're still unfaithful to our spouse then. Say all of a sudden Jesus takes that commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and he makes us universally fall short of his holiness. So these laws are kind of spinning us back, like a boomerang, spinning us back to our need for God. And it's explicit in the 10th commandment, right? That my issue with stealing starts in my heart. It's on the inside. And this, friends, you know, all the time people now, I meet good relativists, they say, all the religions are the same. Just have a holy figure and a bunch of rules and, you know, let's just, we're all climbing up the different side of the mountain and say, I don't think that's true. And this is one of the many areas it's not true is that the Bible goes so far as to tell us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. The truthful matter that my issue in life isn't outward conformity to our civil laws. That my root problem in life is the corruption of my own heart. The fact that I am harboring hatreds and lusts and I covet, that it's inside of me. And as that comes out and festers in my sin nature, that it will produce, it is a violation of God's pure and just law. And this is exactly what Paul says in that brilliant second reading from Romans. Now they say to young preachers, you shouldn't preach Romans before you're 50 years old. Say, I agree, I'm gonna preach Romans in 2035. I hope you're all, we're all still together in 2035. Uh, but I hope just a couple verses here I can dabble into without... Um, I don't want to do God's word justice here, but listen to Paul. What then shall we say that the law is sin? Is the law the problem? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. He's drawing right on the 10th commandment, going right to Exodus 2017. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet, but sin. Now there's the problem. Notice that sin used in the singular takes verbs. But sin, seizing an opportunity through this commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. That the problem is not God's law. God's law is good and just and right. But what it does is it exposes the impurities of my heart. That you can think of God's law as a mirror. You know, you're going through life. Paul's going through life. He's doing, you know, he says, well, there's a guy. That guy's got a nice house. I'd like that house. And that guy's got a nice wife. I wish I had a wife like that. And he's going through. And all of a sudden, he's confronted with God's law. And he's got to pause. Is that a right way to be doing life? To be longing after other people's stuff? to be plundering other people, living selfishly. And all of a sudden what he finds is as he looks in that mirror of the law, he says, my heart is in real trouble that I violated it all over the place. And that's what we're, we're doing here in this series of the Ten Commandments. Say, okay, I, you, know, you shall not murder, I'm good. But then there's the mirror. Yeah, but I've got all kinds of anger in my heart. I don't commit adultery, but there it is. There's lust in my heart. There, say, I don't steal anything, but I can you know, rub some corners off, and I certainly, you know, long for other people's lives. Oh, wait, there it is. Don't covet. So God's law is good. It's shaping us. It's showing us our need for God's grace. That's what it is, that the laws aren't just God being, you know, the, the tyrant in the sky, do what I say. He's shaping us. He's showing us our need for God. There should be, when we study this, both the conviction of sin, wow, I'm not that great, 
and the greatness of God and what he's done in Jesus. That's the action. So the law is a mirror to my unhealthy appetite for gain and my really my appetite for my own ambitions. That's what's happening. And that gives way then, the 10th anchor, uh, commandment, really anchoring the eighth, you shall not steal. Four words. So simple. What are they about? And I feel the need, as we look at that, to get one thing uh, in, a, in a kind of preface comment out of the way, and, and it's this. The Bible is for personal property. That as a Christian, you should not feel guilty about owning things. And I'll say, a lot of times, I had a professor who you know, gave the old you know, anarchist Marxist slogan, property is theft. Have you heard that? Property is theft. And you say, nothing could be further from the Bible's purview. That in fact, before the fall, humans are given dominion to exercise stewardship over God's creation. You'll hear you've been coming to Providence for any, any amounts of time. You're going to hear a lot about stewardship, that this is a biblical word for saying God has entrusted each person with time, talent, and treasure. So it's not just tre treasure. We always think it's only treasure. Actually, it's how we use our time, that we all have time that we can use. We all have talents, different gifts that we can use, and treasures. And God's entrusted to each of us little pieces of his overall created order to say, you're going to manage this. For the short time we have, Psalm 90, 70 or 80 years, you're going to manage this little bit of my, my cosmos. And we as Christians, we steward that to God's glory. And so I would say we don't want to feel guilty about owning things. So look again, the, the fact that you shall not steal only makes sense in a culture where there's ownership, where there's property, where there's stewarding of goods. And so Christians are not socialists. Christians are not Marxists. We don't believe that property is theft. What we believe in is God entrusting to people little tiny bits of things that we might steward it well and give God the glory. That's the biblical view. So it's okay to own things, but that is in the context of owning them rightly and to use them for building up others in Christ, like we've talked about many times in Ephesians 4. Okay, so that's the preface comment. Uh, Bible understands personal property, and to plunder another person's personal property is, again, what is prohibited here. Now, why do I say in the heading, stealing results from a spiritual breakdown? Do you believe that? Say you're, going, you're on your own you know, news outlet and you see, okay, here's another guy that goes down for extortion, you know, made a bad decision, you know, glad he got caught, justice system working. Or do you say there's a deep spiritual problem at play when we are tempted to steal and when we do steal? And I'll give two examples or I think two, two reasons why that's the case. First, when we're tempted to steal and when we steal, there's the prior thought in the heart that that good... Um, whatever it is, that thing, that idea, will really make me happy. That's the thing that's going to make me truly fulfilled. You go around, you see somebody else's nice house, got a nicer house than you, have a nicer car than you, nicer family than you, um, better ideas than you. You say, if I just took that, you know, then I'd, then I'd be happy. If I had what they had, then I'd really be self-actualized. Now, when we make that mental pivot, you see, that's the spiritual gap because what, what do we say? That doesn't make, that, that's not real happiness. And friends, this is, you, you say, you want to know what Christians mean by the bent nature, the crooked nature of the most obvious thing in the world to us should be that more stuff doesn't make us happy. 
it should be the most obvious thing. You know, some sermon illustrations you got to work hard for. You're just like, how am I going to? The illustrations for this point are everywhere. <laughs> that more stuff and better ideas is not the secret to life. Just this week, I was reading about the, uh, the Foo Fighters drummer. I know some of you, you're surprised I read about the Foo Fighters, uh, let alone their drummer, but you say, I'm trying, you know, read, and he, he passed away in South America, and I was reading about, you know, his autopsy, and, um, you know, you look at him from the outside, you're like, this guy should be a really happy guy. I mean, saw his mural in the Cleveland Hopkins Airport, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he's famous, he's on tour, you say, I think a lot of what he, like, that's got to tick all the boxes. He's got to be a really happy guy. And I'm reading that autopsy and, you know, all these things in his system, 10 different drugs to make him happy and how he's wrestled, say, loads of examples like that. I mean, look at athletes, people we think would be, be famous, the dark places of the soul, and thinking, you know, Elvis, how we, what, anybody that, if you really peel back the onion, you say more stuff, that, that, that coveting, that, that premise of saying, if only I had that person's life, then I'll be happy, is a real lie, and yet we're sucked in over and over again. Why? It's a spiritual problem. It's a depravity of the soul that we think happiness is found in created stuff rather than the creator. There's a great irony on our currency. I'm actually surprised that it's still there. You may be ahead of me. So you get out a coin or dollar bill. Say, I love George Washington. Which if I had to bring it out here, say there's a little line on all our currency, right? In God, we trust. That's not true for a lot of us. Actually, trust in that dollar a little bit more. It's a great irony. Say it's a spiritual problem that I've convinced myself that God's good gifts to us and that another person's stuff is going to satisfy and heal what's going on inside of me. It's a spiritual problem. Secondly, I, I want us to think about how entitled we can become in this area. And to bring this out, I, I, I think how this will affect our congregation, say, you're thinking, well, I'm probably not going to commit felonious larceny this week or, you know, aggravated robbery and maybe low probability. But where I think that this, where we are tempted, most of us are tempted and where we've witnessed this in the broad sweep of what we call workplace theft. Workplace theft is striking. You look at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the many billions and billions of dollars that is lost through taking from your employer uh, robbing people of their time. You can just think of it. And you think about how, how the mindset is. You, you look around and say, the company had a great year. They had the best year they ever had. What are they going to mind if I just fudge a couple of numbers? Say, the top guys, they're making plenty of money, but poor me down here, uh, I'm, I'm really struggling, and this could really, uh, this could really help out my family. It would get, you know, allow me to do a little bit extra. You see, that is the mindset that says God, the, God doesn't know what he's doing. God made a mistake when he allocated to me the time, talents, and treasures that he's given me. He doesn't understand what a great steward I am, and I need more stuff to steward. That guy shouldn't have it, and I ha it's a spiritual, it's putting God in the dock. God, you're at fault here, and I do need to insert myself to take more because I deserve it. And so entitlement, and you think about this, you know, if I could press a little bit further, how are we using our expense accounts? And not anybody from 
our church, but I've been on meetings with business guys and go out for a nice lunch and it's a business expense and I'm just thinking, I'm a church historian and a pastor. I don't see why we need some, some of this software. And you wonder. You say, are taking little items when nobody's looking or something like that? Or how about your time? You stay up real late and you come into work and you're a bit sluggish and you're supposed to work an eight-hour day, but you really kind of only work about five and a half. You say, is that something that God's people should do? You say, that's being dishonest. It's stealing. It's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Now, the, the other way is just as true, by the way. You say you've got management theft. You say, I'm having somebody, you know, some poor chap doing a job, and he's way underpaid. You know he's underpaid. In a way, that's stealing. You steal ideas. You talk about intellectual property now, and the, the entanglement's there to say, well, I didn't really steal an item, but we steal ideas. We plagiarize that it's all over the place, and I pray that we see, in order to get there, there's a problem in my heart that I've, in, I've acted in an entitled way that I've just it, and when I do that, I'm really saying to God, you don't understand what I deserve, and you've not given me enough to steward. Instead of saying, God, I'm content. You've given me plenty to steward. I just need to, to water the garden in which you've placed me. So that's the point here, that stealing is not, yes, it's a kind of primitive problem. It's about material, but it really results from a spiritual breakdown, and it results from a failure to understand God and the idea of stewardship of right ownership and being content in that. Okay, secondly, and sometimes these headings, you know, I put them in there early in the week, and as the week goes on, I wish I chose other headings, but this is the way it came out, and hopefully I can explain this well. When I say theft damages people, it's not just material. What I mean by this is if you look at any of the commandments, people will... will generally agree with them to say these are good civil laws. There's a reason why a lot of these are our civil laws. You say, I think it's better to live in a society where there's no murder rather than murder. Uh, we don't want to harm each other. But this is what we call a contractual view. This is you know, exactly what the modern political philosophers were talking about to say, I have an agreement with you that you won't murder me and I won't murder you. And that's just the, the nicest and best society that morality stops at just me not doing harm to you. Is that all that's at stake? I say that's certainly at stake. You say we, it's better to live in a society where there's no theft rather than theft. Um, finding this out in California with Proposition 47, I mean, not to go there, but you know, that's the one that uh, decriminalized larceny up to about $1,000, $900. You say all these retailers are like, well, theft is way up. So we all know, say it's better to live in a society where, where there's less stealing than more stealing. Definitely true. But when we look at God's laws, it goes deeper than that. It's not an either or, but a both end to say, violating these really hurts what the Bible would call the souls, the souls, the, the innards of a person. The best way I can summarize this is a, a saying you'll finish for me. Um, people will operate their life on the, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Say this is a, a slogan that a lot of us know. It goes all the way back to Plato, something called the Ring of Gyges, dialogue with Glycon and, and Socrates. And what happens there is say, well, actually, the only reason we behave morally is because we're afraid of the consequences and we don't want to do each other harm, and that's where it stops. The Bible says, no, these are for your good and for the good of your soul. And I'll try to make just a few points to that end, but you'll notice on this stealing, you say, really, what does stealing do? Is that it separates in the person who's violated their hard work from the benefit of that work. 
is that when we work hard and there's remuneration, we say this is just capitalism. It has nothing to do with the Bible. You, you work hard, you get paid. This is a, you know, something we do. In the, say, I would argue that goes back before the fall. You say, you read your Bible closely. Adam is to work in the fields before the fall. That doing good work and contributing to society and having rewards be that in Adam's day, the, the, the work of his labor that he gets to enjoy the work of his hands is deeply ingrained to what it means to be human. Say, I want to work hard, make a contribution, and see God and his goodness has set up the moral economy where there's a benefit. And when we come in, we say we plunder that, we violate that, we're striking at the core of this dynamic of making a contribution and, and seeking the rewards. And again, it's not just money. And when you raised your hands at the beginning, you think about what was stolen from you. Say, a lot of us have good insurance. Say, somebody broke into your house, stole your stuff, even a, you know. You say, well, I have insurance, just, I'll just buy new stuff. I never hear anybody talk that way. They'll rather say, I felt so violated. The people that took this stuff, it wasn't about the money. It's the fact that they would come in and, and plunder me and plunder my family. And, and it, it feels so deeply, uh, you feel so deeply attacked when people steal from you. Say, I think that it, that's exactly right. Why? Because God made us to, say, to, to work hard and to see rewards. And theft has a way of disrupting that and hurting the souls of us. And on that vein, take a look at that proverb there. It's the book of wisdom. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. What do you think that means? See, I remember, you know, as a guy, I don't tell this story a lot, but me and my buddies thought it'd be pretty funny to steal the road signs from the high school. Say, stealing stop signs, very serious business. You're not thinking that way. Frontal lobe's not developed, right? <laughs> um, I said, it'd be so cool to steal these signs and take them home and tell all of our buddies, you know who stole the signs at the school? We did. The whole plan break down, broke down. We all turned each other in. Captain Cockrell called my dad from the Sugar and Falls Police Department, and he said that was exactly what happened. To say, it sounds like a good idea to steal stuff. Tastes good for a moment. Say, won't that be cool? Oh, I'll be really happy. And then you're sitting there and you're saying, what I did was wrong. It wasn't right. And I didn't earn this. It didn't come out of God's good plan of hard work and remuneration. Hard work, contribution, remuneration. God's good plan, it came from a plundering. And consequently, as a result of that plundering, my soul doesn't feel good. Can you see what I'm saying? It's not just, the, it's not just what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I want to keep the consequences isolated. It cuts into you like all of these do. Say, it's not, yeah, adultery, you know, well, it felt good but it hurts you on the inside. So God gives us the law to protect us, to guide us, to show us our need. There's so much more to it. There, how about Matthew Henry? I think of this a lot when, you know, when times that people have taken things from me. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, listen to his words. This is after somebody stole his wallet. Let me be thankful that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Let me be thankful that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. What did the great Christian Matthew Henry mean by that? He meant, I think, the theological dimension of saying there's a God on high who sees everything, that all this stuff belongs to him. 
And if I was the thief, then I'd really be denying who God is and what he's entrusted. I'd be, you know, kind of turning my back on God. And at least, you know, I've been plundered, but God in his kindness has given me more than enough, and I trust in him. And I know you, maybe some of you today, you're thinking about what, you, what was stolen from you, or you've seen it in your place of work. It's just mind I mean, some of, I know some of you in your places of work, I've talked to you, I can see your faces now. We've talked about this, and you have an employee, you brought that employee under, you raised him up, you discipled him, you've entrusted him with the, the keys, so to speak. And a few years go by, and you're like, the numbers in the accounts just aren't adding up. And you feel very violated, don't you? So is there anyone who can bind those wounds? Who sees all? Who's entrusted you with what he's entrusted? You say, yeah, there's a God on high. It's going to be okay. We steward what we can. And so the final point then, so what we tried to say is that stealing results from a spiritual breakdown in, a heart, in my heart. That it's a not trusting God with the gifts that he's given me to steward. Secondly, that theft damages people deeply. It's not just about the stuff, but it's about uh, hurting us in a very real way and hurting others in a very real way if we behave that way. So let's end this as we have all the commandments on something very positive. You say just turn the commandments into the positive. What's God saying? You shall not steal. I would say this. God's people are givers, not takers. We live in a culture, friends, if you just listen, T- taking taking is is prized very high there's a pie out there and we've all got a scrap for our piece of the pie See, i don't want to i'll leave this to the economists i mean no concept of free exchange in a growing pie it's just there's a pie out there and we're all scrapping for a piece of the pie and i'm competing against you and i need to take as much as i can because this is what what an opportunity we have we're not takers we're we're givers Say, as a mentor of mine says always, he says, open hands. Say, we're those with open hands. You can be really hurt by that, by the way, but you say, Jesus supplied me with more than I need, so I live with open hands, especially within the congregation. That doesn't mean that we're foolish. It doesn't mean that we don't use the law when people you know, commit larceny against us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can be marked by a kind of generosity and open-handedness that we don't plunder each other's things. We don't covet after each other's stuff. Why? Because God on high has entrusted us with time, talents, and treasure to steward for him, and I want to be open-handed with what he's giving me, knowing that he'll bless me with all that I need. Say, where does that idea come from? Flows right out of what God has done in Jesus. Friends, no one. Who's been the most plundered person in history? Who's been the most violated person in history? It's the Lord Jesus. Who, though he was supremely rich, as creator of all, for our sakes became poor and suffered an embarrassing death on the cross. The most famous Bible verse of all, for God so loved the world, he gave. We worship a giving God. We've been given all we need, as the second hymn said, right? In Jesus, there's more than all, all that I need in him, that out of him there's bounty and flow. So somebody wants to plunder me now, say, yeah, it hurts. But ultimately, in Christ, I have all that I need, and God has entrusted me 
with so much that God's Christian giving expresses God's grace, as God has been gracious to us so we can be gracious to one another. Christian giving is inspired by the cross, Jesus giving it all to us. Christian giving is going to lead to unity in our church. It's something that we all can do together. And Christian giving promotes thanksgiving. God, this is from you. How much of your stuff is yours and how much is God's? <laughs> Say it's all God's. And so we can celebrate that and give thanks. And I, I would say you have been a very generous congregation. Since I've been here two and a half years, I praise God for you. You have been an open-handed congregation. And as a result, I just feel God has allowed us to, to witness some wonderful things. And by God's grace, some wonderful things planned. You've been so kind and generous. And I would say on this one, let's keep it up. Let's not fall into the world's trap of being takers but to be open-handed, to care, to lift one another up, to support good causes. Maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. Okay, we always have non-Christians in the assembly, for which I give thanks. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're listening to this, and for the first time in a long time, reading this, and you see God's law. It's not the young preacher saying, I got, you know, I got a few pointers. Say, God's law. And all of a sudden, there's a mirror. And you say, you know, I've been living a life of covetousness. I've been taking from my employer for a long time. I've been robbing people of their time. I've been robbing people of their ideas. And all of a sudden, you feel come in on you now a great sense maybe of, of guilt. Say, what can we do about that? Is there any hope? Say, yes, wonderfully, there's hope that God put forth Jesus for all of us weak sinners, for all of us adulterers and murderers and thieves, for each one of us. God put forth Jesus saying, I know, come to me. Allow me to heal those wounds. Allow me to use your experiences to build my kingdom. And I pray today, you're not a Christian. You see this. You say, take it. You say, this is true, isn't it? Isn't everything God told us today, isn't it true? And to really follow that and say, I, I need a savior. And he's the Lord Jesus. Nobody makes the claims he does. Who, though he was rich, became poor, and I can surrender to him and be reconciled to God, and I can repent of my sins and live differently by result of his power and his spirit. I pray that you'd do that today. So may we continue as a church family to live open-handedly, not unwisely, but wisely and open-handedly and differently, and may the world in a culture of language of taking see that we are but stewards and that we are cheerful givers. So I'll pray as the team comes back up. Lord, I do confess I, I, I've stolen and I've tempted, I, I'm tempted to steal. I think even this time of year is tax time. The last thing any of us want to do is give money to an inefficient government. And we can become very entitled about that kind of thing and say, well, I'd be a lot happier if I had that money and the government didn't, or I, you know, if I could claim that idea instead of the next chap, or if I could, you know, just uh, slink off here and work for the next couple hours so all the others do the work. Say, Lord, help us to have a check in our spirit to say, that's out, that's out of bounds. So, Lord, help us to be those who work hard, those who enjoy how you've set it up, that when we work hard, that there's, there's benefits to that. And Lord, help us to 
be givers and not takers, to live open-handedly, certainly with other members of this congregation, as in our membership covenant, that we make a pledge to do so. And I praise you, Lord. I praise you for the members of this congregation who have lived out this truth, being open-handed. So, Lord, protect us. Keep our minds fixed on your sufficiency, on this idea of stewardship, that you know you've allocated things perfectly. So may we not strive, but be content and be generous and be glad in you. For Christ's name, amen.